Good evening. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together this evening. And it's our prayer that we will be encouraged by the opportunity that we have to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking at the passage that was read a moment ago by Cameron, 1 Kings chapter 2, and the theme of our study tonight, Passing the Torch. And as we look at 1 Kings chapter 2, we have what might best be described as a transitional phase. David is about to depart this life. And so he's going to step aside and his son Solomon will assume kingship over the United Kingdom. I had a friend that said to me one time, nothing lasts forever. In this life, that's true. Things change rapidly. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Kings come and they go. And as we look at 1 Kings chapter 2, we're reminded of this fact. And so what is occurring here is David is passing the torch to his son Solomon. And there are some principles that I want us to think about in our study tonight. The first thing I want us to do is to think about the departure of an old king. We might sum it up by saying the passing of a saint, and that would be David. And as we look at 1 Kings chapter 2, the first thing that I would call your attention to has to do with the deeds of David. And then we'll talk about his death. But the Bible tells us in verse 11 of chapter 2 that David reigned over Israel 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. When you look at the life of David, you see that he was by all accounts, the greatest king over the United Kingdom. Solomon succeeded him and the kingdom remained intact. But following his death, we have the dividing of the kingdom and really a history of what we might call very bad kings. But David was a man after God's own heart. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 13, that God raised up David. And he said that David was a man after his own heart and he knew that he would do all of his will. That is a tremendous statement. What a compliment to the life of King David. And so we think about his legacy. Forty years he reigned over the United Kingdom. And we might ask the question tonight, what kind of legacy will you leave behind? Solomon said, a good name is rather to be chosen rather than great riches. Whether we realize it or not, as we live here on planet Earth, we are creating a legacy for good or bad. The things that we do, the words that we speak, are ultimately a testimony to our character. You read Hebrews chapter 11 and you read about many great men and women of Almighty God, people of faith. David was a great man of faith. But then we turn attention to his death. The text tells us in verse 10 that David rested with his fathers. David, of course, faced what we too will face in life, and that is ultimately the demise of our physical body. 
This life will ultimately end in death. And so we think about the brevity of life. Whether we like it or not, whether we come to terms with the fact, life is extremely brief. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The psalmist in Psalm 90, and I believe that Moses wrote Psalm 90. Moses said, the days of our years are three score and ten. We may live to be 70 years of age. He said it might be the case that we live to be fourscore years. In other words, we reach 80. But he said, it is soon cut off and we fly away. James commented on the brevity of life in chapter 4, verse 14, when he said that life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. David reigned for 40 years over the United Kingdom. And we talk about the departure of an old king. Let me tell you what, life will get by you quickly. I would imagine that the 40-year reign of David was gone just like that. That's how quickly things change in this life. The Hebrew writer said, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this cometh the judgment. In Hebrews chapter 9 at verse 27. And then, of course, we have his burial. He was buried in the city of David. And as I think about David... And some of the great psalms that he penned and his life, his heart, his faith in Almighty God. I'm reminded of the fact that when David stepped out into eternity, that he had the Lord by his side. I understand that his friends, his family members, people in the kingdom, they had the responsibility of taking care of his body and burying it. But you see, David said in Psalm 23 at verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then it was the psalmist in Psalm 115 at verse 16 that said, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God deems a saint who steps out into eternity as a precious thing. You remember the Apostle Paul as he, as he talked about life and death? He would say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In verse 23 of Philippians 1, he would say to depart and be with Christ is far better. And so when we come to the end of the road, as David did and as others in days gone by, we need to understand that as faithful children of God, we will not leave this world alone. I had a question posed to me the other night, and let me just very quickly share the question. Somebody asked me, what happens at death? And I know that there are a lot of people that have many, many questions about departing from this life, particularly as it relates to what is called the Hadean realm, the realm of the unseen. Hades is simply the abode of the dead. And there are two compartments the Bible speaks of two very specific compartments of the dead. The first is called paradise. Those who die in Christ, they go to paradise or Abraham's bosom. You remember Jesus said to one of the thieves hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 23 at verse 43, Today you will be with me where? In paradise. When Lazarus died in Luke 16, the Bible tells us that he went to the bosom of Abraham. And the angels bore his spirit or soul over to that realm. The other abode, the abode of the unrighteous, is a place of torment based on Luke 16. 
It has been called by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, Tartarus. Some translations say that the angels who sinned, they were cast down to hell. And really in the original, the word is Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. And it's simp- it, it, all it is is the abode of the unrighteous, the ungodly. And so when we step out into eternity, we need to have confidence and assurance that we're going home to be with God. That yes, our body will remain back on planet Earth and our loved ones, they will dispose of that body. But our soul is at rest. We're with the Lord. John said in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. When we talk about death, the most important aspect of death is this. Dying in Christ. There are only two possibilities. You can die in the Lord or out of the Lord. You want to die in the Lord. Because those who die in the Lord, John said, they are at rest from their labors. And their works do follow them. So we talk about the departure of an old king. But then secondly, consider with me if you would, the duties of the new king. Here we have the promotion of a son, that being Solomon. And what we have in chapter 2, David here announcing that death is imminent. He understands that. He knows he's about to step out into eternity. The kingship of Solomon is going to be firmly established based on verse 12. And so the first thing that David does is set forth what I call some commanding principles. Principles that will serve Solomon well as he leads the nation. And I would, I would maybe point out that the principles that we're talking about, they could find application not only in political leaders' lives, but also in the lives of spiritual leaders, that is, the spiritual leaders in the home. So look with me if you would. In verse 1, the Bible says, Then the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go, the, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, and therefore prove yourself a man. The first thing that David says to Solomon in the long ago, be strong in the Lord. David wanted Solomon, and Solomon is a very young man at this time. Some would speculate maybe late teens. But nonetheless, he is a young man. And what David is saying is, Solomon, it's time for you to man up, to be strong. His strength needed to be where? Needed to be in the Lord. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so God, in the long ago, wanted, well, David in the long ago, wanted Solomon to be a man of God. He wanted him to be strong in the Lord and to demonstrate what we would say is manhood. Now, there are a couple of points that we would maybe benefit from thinking about. In terms of being strong in the Lord, I would submit that First and foremost, Solomon was going to need to be a man of conviction. Think about how important it is for a leader, whether it be a political leader or a spiritual leader, to be a person of conviction. 
Wouldn't it be refreshing to see people today in our society to demonstrate what we call genuine conviction, to have a set of values, a set of beliefs, a belief system, if you please, rather than looking out and trying to decide, okay, what is it society wants, what is it the people want, and then catering to the whims and wishes of the people. To be a person of conviction. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart always and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. To be a person of conviction. Here is Solomon. He is about to assume the throne. And he's going to have to have some conviction that there is a God, that there is a God who wants me to govern according to his will. Spiritual leaders. Solomon was a father, wasn't he? As a father, wouldn't it have been great if he had had the wisdom of Joshua in the long ago when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So you have conviction and then courage. To be a leader takes courage, doesn't it? In other words, we have, to, we, we have to be willing to say, okay, look, this is my belief system. This is what I believe, and I'm not backing up. I'm going to stand on the principles that I believe, that I've been taught. I'm going to stand on the ideals that I think are right, and I'm not going to back up. Peter and John said in the long ago, we ought to obey God rather than men. I think it would be refreshing to find political leaders, spiritual leaders today that were people of conviction, consecration, and courage. As we think about being a person of conviction and courage, listen if you would to what David said along these lines in verse 3. He said, be strong, prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God. To walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses. You see, David wanted his son to align himself with the will of God. And the word of God. And what David was saying is, it's going to take some conviction on your part to adhere to these principles. Furthermore, it's going to take some courage on your part because the people are not always going to want to do what God says to do. The king of Israel. We talk about after the kingdom divided, the northern kings and then the southern kings. Let me tell you what, they set the tone for the spiritual state of God's people. Many of those kings were ruthless and ungodly. And it was reflected in the behavior of the Israelite people. Hezekiah was a good king. And yet Hezekiah had a son that was, as we would say, rotten to the core. And the writer of Kings tells us that he influenced the children of Israel to do evil in the sight of the Lord. So Solomon needed to be a man of courage, a man of conviction. In short, he needed to be strong in the Lord. But then there's a second thing. 
And that is, he was to be submissive to the Lord. Listen again to what is said in verse 3. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. Now, having said that, go back with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 17 for a minute because this really forms the basis of what David is talking about. Moses here is writing and he's talking about the time when the people would demand a king and ultimately they would get their wish. Look at verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren, you shall set his king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. Now look at verse 19. I said that David told Solomon you need to be submissive to the Lord. First of all, he needed to be willing to read the word of God. Listen to what is said by Moses. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Listen to that. Moses, on behalf of God, is saying, all right, when the time comes for a man to sit on the throne among the children of Israel, first and foremost, he needs to take and write down a record of the law and then read it every day. Why is it he needs to read the law of God? Because the Bible says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Jeremiah said in chapter 10 of his book, it is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. God was saying, if you're going to be true to me, if you're going to be true to the course that is before you, you need to read my law every day. And then there's a second thing. Listen also to what he says. It shall be with him, he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful, note what he says, to observe all, A-L-L, the words of this law and these statutes. So number one, he was to read the word of God, and number two, he was to respect the word of God. What happened to Israel? Well, what happened to Solomon? Look at the life of Solomon. Here is God through Moses saying, all right, this is what I want you to do. You're not to multiply horses. You're not to multiply wives. You're not to multiply silver and gold. And Solomon did the exact opposite, didn't he? When he did that, what happened? He created all kinds of chaos and all kinds of problems. The foreign women that he married turned his heart away from Almighty God. He began to embrace idolatry. Now, by way of application, we talk about political leaders today and passing the torch. When you go back and you look at secular history, the history that has to do with the birth and growth of our nation, 
It seems to me that many of the individuals that have served in political offices in days gone by believed in Almighty God. They may not have had what we would call a correct understanding of New Testament Christianity, but they believed that the Word of God was what it is, and that is the Word of the living God. They believed that they ought to respect the Word of the living God. I want to ask this question tonight. How often do you think our political leaders in Washington, Jackson, Mississippi, right here in Olive Branch, how often do you think they read the Word of God? How often do you think they pick up a copy of this book that's called the Bible and read it? How often do you think our Congress reads the Bible? The Senate? The President? The Vice President? And then let me just add this question. Do you think they respect it? Do you think that they believe that this is the word of the living God? That this is the book that is, to, direct, that is to, to guide and direct our lives? Do you really think that they believe that this is the book that will one day judge us? Let me say this. I wonder if they read the Bible. I wonder how many of these men and women who are our, our legislators, our political leaders, I wonder how often they read the Word of God. And then I wonder if they really respect the Word of God. Somebody says, well, why would you make a statement like that? Well, let me see. In 1973, the Supreme Court, the leaders of our nation, made it a law to abort babies. You see, they're not reading this book that we call the Bible. Because if they did, they, they don't respect this book. If they did, you know what? We wouldn't have abortion on demand today. You believe that? Do you think we would be sitting here in 2013 with 50 million innocent lives snuffed out? Do you really believe that? What about today? We talk about God. We talk about the Bible. Our political leaders, they'll talk about the Bible. They'll talk about God. They'll talk about the God of Islam, etc. And the idea is that one God is as good as another. One book is as good as another. Let me tell you what, there's only one book and there's only one God. The one God is the God of heaven. The one book is called Scripture. I don't believe that our legislators, our political leaders, I don't believe they read the Word of God very often. If they do, I don't believe that they respect it. Somebody says that's a bold statement. Well, why then would, why then would our political leaders sanction homosexual marriage. Don't tell me we believe in the word of God. Don't tell me that we believe in the God of heaven. Is it not the case that the God of heaven said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh? What is biblical marriage? One man, one woman for life. That's what scripture says. Now we talk about political leaders having courage and conviction. When's the last time you saw somebody in Washington or in Jackson, Mississippi or in Olive Branch for that matter stand up and say, let me tell you what, here's what the Bible says and not back up. That's what we need. And we need husbands, we need fathers that will stand up and say, listen, this is what God said. 
This is what we need to honor. At one time, we called ourselves a God-fearing nation. We're a godless nation now in many respects. And we can say what we want to say. We can, I mean, you can, you can spin it any way you want to spin it. But the facts don't lie. The facts are in. Look at what God is saying through Moses. Here's what the king is supposed to do. He's supposed to read the word of God all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. We need political leaders. We need national leaders. We need spiritual leaders that have a deep and abiding respect for Almighty God. We need men and women today that will stand up and say, you know what, I believe what God has said in his word is true. It has always been true, and it will always be true. That's what we need. Passing the torch. Now, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 161, my heart stands in awe of your word. Look at the life of Solomon. If Solomon had only listened to his daddy, he could have been spared a great deal of heartache and sorrow. David was plain and for, look, look, David is just saying, this is what you need to do, son. This is how you need to live. This is how you need to lead. That's what we need today. We need spiritual leaders, political leaders, that will lead people in the paths of righteousness. Now, what about the consequences of the principles? Think with me, if you would, for a moment about the prosperity of the throne. We're going to come back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, but I want you to note with me what is said as we think about the words of David in 1 Kings chapter 2. Pick up again in verse 3. He charged Solomon to keep the commandments of the Lord his God, his judgments, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses. Now listen to what he says. That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Look at our nation today. Are we prospering? Are we going forward? Let me tell you what. I've seen things in this nation that I would never have dreamed about as a boy. Never. We talk about the moral mayhem of our nation, the economic mess of our nation, the, the continual political blunderings of so-called people in office. I mean, makes you wonder, doesn't it? The reason our nation is not prospering, I understand we are not a theocracy. We are a nation that has been blessed by Almighty God with freedom and with many, many blessings. But one of the reasons we are not prospering as a nation is because we have, in many ways, turned the gun on ourselves. Many of the problems that we face in this nation are self-inflicted. Think about it. 
I mean, just pick up a newspaper, read, read the internet. Look at some of the problems that are self-inflicted in our nation. And we've got people that are supposedly running our country and they don't even understand that. David said in Psalm 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Solomon said, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. Let me tell you what, righteousness will exalt a nation and sin will bring it to its knees. You don't believe me? Read history. Go back and read about the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Grecians or the Romans. Read about those people. Where are they today? Let me tell you where they are. They are in the pages of history. The prosperity of the throne and then the perpetuity of of the throne. Listen to what is said in verse 4 of 1 Kings chapter 2. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Think about that for a minute. God is saying, if your sons, if your descendants will do what is right, if they'll walk in accordance with my will, what will happen? I'll bless you they will continue to remain on the throne. Now, go back and look at Deuteronomy 17 again. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 19, Moses said, It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, talking about the law, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be, lift, may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. Now note, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. It all began with Solomon, the unfolding or the unraveling of the kingdom in many respects because he set the precedent. I mean, you go back and you look at, at Solomon, the very things that God said do not do, Solomon did. And as a result of that, you have Solomon stepping aside. Rehoboam comes to the throne, and then we talk about Jeroboam. And the first thing that Jeroboam did when he got control of the ten tribes, he set up idol worship in Dan and Bethel. Now, what's the application? I don't know what the history of our nation is, but I know this. The prospects are a lot brighter. The future looks a lot better if we'll try to do what's right. If we'll just seek to the best of our ability to walk in harmony with the will of God, you will never go wrong honoring God and His Word. But you will always go wrong when you dishonor God and His Word. We're in a mess in this country. And the reason we're in a mess is because the home is in a mess. Because we have not... We have not reared up spiritual leaders, godly men, in many respects, to lead the home. They have abdicated their, their responsibilities. We're in a mess in this country because as the home goes, so goes the nation. So we have national leaders, political leaders, if you please, that are leading us in an unhealthy way. 
We ought to pray for our country. We ought to pray for the home. When I read what David said to his son Solomon, I think about passing the torch and the fact that here is a father who genuinely loves his son and he's saying, look, if you'll do this, things will go so well for you. If only Solomon had listened. Sometimes as a parent, it's discouraging when our children don't listen to us, isn't it? I mean, you tell them to do this, you say, look, if you'll do this and you'll follow this and you'll go this route, things will be great in life. What do they do? They bow up, they take a different course, and what happens? Well, you know what happens. A lot to be said for age and maturity. Wisdom. David's an old man. And David is saying to his son, this is the way to go. Solomon did what he wanted to do. He paid a heavy price. When spiritual leaders in the home, men who are supposed to be spiritual leaders, don't do what God would have them to do, people suffer. Children suffer. Wives suffer. Husbands suffer. When political leaders don't do what they're supposed to do, nations suffer. What, what, what should we learn? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. What we need to do as the people of God, we need to begin encouraging people, whether it's a neighbor, a friend, a family member, political leader, whomever. We need to encourage them to open this book, to read it, and obey it. What's the song we sing? Trust and obey, for there is no other way. I promise you that's so true. There's no other way. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, for the opportunity to be together. We're grateful for your word, which is a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. Help us, Father, to take the principles that are set forth in your word, to make application to our lives, to live as you would have us to live. We pray for our homes. We pray for our country. We pray for those who are in leadership positions. May they have the wisdom to look to you for guidance. May they turn to your word and follow it. And Father, we ask your blessings in all that we do that is right. Forgive us and save us in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that he is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess his name before others. Be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism, as they did on Pentecost Day. The Bible says if you'll do that, you'll enjoy the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And if you'll be faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Maybe you're here tonight, your life is not what it ought to be. Could we encourage you to come home? Could we encourage you to come back? Could we pray with you and for you, believing that God will abundantly pardon every sin, 1 John 1, 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?